Hey there, welcome to Broadcast to Post. I'm Jeff Sengpil, CTO at Keycode Media. This is the show where we interview leaders and experts in the AV, broadcast, and post-production spaces. We're giving you the inside tips to grow your media workflows and business today. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please take your seats because we're getting started with live production, cloud, AI, and your future. AI? Yeah, why not? AI can't speak for itself, so we'll be talking about it. All right, let's let's introduce our panel. First, we've got uh, Ian. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, Big Rock. Yeah, sure thing. I'm Ian Akers. I'm the CEO of Big Rock Productions and Northwest Event Technology at Big Rock. Uh, we, we produce events and broadcasts and corporate communication programs, mostly for businesses, but also for trade organizations and the like. Yeah. Awesome sauce. Lucas, I've known you forever. Uh, tell us a little about what you're doing up to these days. Hi, uh, I'm Lucas Wilson, and I run the largest exotic dancing boutique in Victoria. No, kidding. Um, I'm Lucas Wilson. I uh, started a company called Supersphere about six years ago. We do, I, say, I call it all the R's, VR, AR, MR, XR, whatever. Um, and we've done about, we focus primarily on music and live broadcasting. We've done about 250 shows in the past uh, six odd years, everybody from Billie Eilish, Post Malone, Kanye, Offset, Young Thug, down to um, emerging artists. Uh, we do almost all the immersive shows for Meta, uh, and we've done a lot of shows for, I don't know, we, we do a lot of music shows and, and try and make them more interesting and try to, try to bring fans closer to the things they love. And Mark, you've been doing live production for a little while. Long time. Uh, I'm with KeyCode. Thank you all for coming and enjoying. Uh, we come up with solutions, technology solutions to help your, your dreams and visions come to life. So we are, we basically are a hardware store. We sell tools uh, and we put those tools together for you. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that and some of the things that are going on in our industry today, where the direction is, that type of stuff. And Jeff. It's, it's kind of like Lowe's. We, right. we, we can also build it for you. We Just can build it. Know. Right. I'm Jeff Sengpil. I'm the CTO of Keycode Media. I'm located out of the Burbank office, but I get all over the place, as people have seen, um, and, and on your favorite podcast. Um, so we love to hear about the cool tech and how it works. Um, can you discuss a recent unique show or project, uh, the challenges you faced in producing it, and how you and your crew handled it? Ian, let's start with you. Well, I mean, quite frankly, I feel like every project that we do now is unique because everybody's got a different uh, take on how it goes. And so, you know, one of the one of the projects that our team came back to me on was, uh, you know, just just fully utilizing the full um, suite of tools at the disposal at one time. You know, typically you, you go through and you try to you try to pick out the ones that are applicable. But it, you know, in this case, uh, you know, working on you know, value engineering some solutions so that way you can um, put on a hybrid presentation out of a corporate office, manage it though from our broadcast studio, uh, and so pushing everything out of there, multiple virtual presenters, everybody needing different multi-viewer feeds, uh, running it, you know, through a myriad of routing and switching and comm communication. And yeah, I, I mean, quite frankly, that's every one of them now, it feels like. Right, it's it's how how can we uh, approach this unique problem, and how do we use the tools at our disposal, you know, to to, to make it work out. And so, you know, for us, it's it's really on the communication side, just making sure that you don't have latency. You know, it's making sure that everybody's accommodated for it, no matter where they're at, and at the end of the day, everybody feels like they're part of the included audience, right? And so, that's that's where we're at. A, a common hub of concerns for a bespoke production. Yeah. Uh, Lucas, you're always doing something new and different. What's going on, man? Sure. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I have I have the advantage in my business that that in with our company that I, I work with well-known people. I work with names that that people recognize, but the challenges and the problems are all the same. Um, it is it's hybrid models. How do you mix the physical and the virtual? How do you reduce latency? How do you create great experiences for whoever's whoever's watching the show and how they're doing it? We did a show. Um, uh, well, in live broadcasting, I think out, out of curiosity, 
folks in the audience, just by a show of hands, how many of you are in the live, are in the, do any kind of live work at all? Good, okay, good, you're in the right place. Um, you know, first of all, uh, during the pandemic, I think everybody went, great, now what the hell are we gonna do, right? And everybody spun up real fast um, iPhone solutions and, and all sorts of crazy stuff to do hybrid shows. And we did a lot of those shows and we sent an I, we sent iPhone kits to we sent an iPhone kit. Our challenge at that time was we had to send a full iPhone kit and all the instructions and all the everything to get up and running so that a client could do that remotely and a client with typically very little technical experience. I mean, we had to do we had to do we had one absolutely comical thing where we did it with Wiz Khalifa. Um, I don't know if you know Wiz Khalifa, but the dude is baked all the time. <laughs> He smokes more pot than any human being I've ever seen in my life, and I went to music school. Um, and and he was, and I will I will never forget my engineers on the phone with Wiz when he was like, "Hold on a sec," and literally taking a bong hit as he was setting up the lyrics broadcaster on an iPhone. And I was like, "This is gonna go well. What could possibly go wrong?" But no, nothing could go wrong. But what, I'll, and I'll shut up in a minute. But the, um, the biggest challenge, honestly, that we had recently was we're doing a thing, we're launching a software product called ArcRunner, um, A-R-K-R-U-N-R, -R -R, for anybody that wants to go to a website. Um, and, it's, and it's a mix of physical and virtual, and we were doing a show with, um, with uh, Diplo and Major Laser, where we got the cab diagrams from the, for the stage, and we got the lighting plots from the lighting director, and they wanted to do a physical virtual hybrid which is where our software takes DMX inputs from a lighting console and we recreated their lights um, in a virtual world so that when he was at a live show and he pushed the button on his Grand MA lighting console, the physical light would show up and the virtual light would show up. It was a digital twin of the, of the virtual, of the light show in the virtual world to the physical world. Digital twins are not new. Lots of people are doing cool digital twins. But I think one of the really interesting areas of innovation that a lot of people are, are figuring out is how do, we, how do we do that in a live world, right? And why is that interesting and what makes that interesting for people? And it was really cool though because we were able to, you know, the people that were there live got the live experience with DJs, you know, and major laser and dancers and stuff. And, but the people that were on the virtual show still got the expertise of the live show. It was still a top-level lighting director doing a top-level LD show and performers on a stage. And it's not so much about, to me, it's not so much about the digital twin, because for me, it's like, why are you going to create a digital twin? I mean, it's kind of like, why, why, to me, some of the point of creating a digital twin doesn't make sense to me, but it makes sense to me when you translate expertise and you translate art and you translate communication to a virtual audience, because that engages somebody. That's why people watch. They don't watch because they want to go to a. Sh they want to be at a specific place. Nobody wants to go to Coachella. It's a grease spot in the desert. They go because the expertise and the talent and the communication is there. Mark, any interesting stuff you've been Your cooking on lately? It's always interesting. You know, we all we all want to just tell stories. You talk about all this technology. Remember, it all starts analog. Remember those days? Analog cameras, analog. Everything's analog. Right? What the digital environment allows us to do is to be creative and produce things quicker, faster, and keep that quality, that resolution up high. Um, Kiko does lots of interesting projects. I mean, we're, we're in the you know, entertainment space. Uh, we are in the government space. We are in the educational space. We are in the private corporate space. I mean, some clients here, obviously. Um, you know, technology is, is a tool, and it's, it's getting better, and it's actually getting more affordable. Some of the stuff that you can do is pretty amazing um, for what it costs. It's just how creative you are with that tool, and you're getting full utilization out of that tool. You know, we just went through, obviously, a, a pretty heavy shift. I mean, Remy is still a really big thing in live sports. Remy is remote production, where you're sending camera feeds, audio feeds back to a central location, switching all of that content and then distributing that content and having communication with the edge. So that's a very big topic for a lot of people wanting to do that because it reduces the field costs on the larger trucks, you know, for sports. I mean, sports is still, in television, that's where the money's made, in sports. 
So um, lots of different solutions out there through the rest of the conversation here. Some more stuff will come up, but we can talk about it. Definitely. And one of the biggest challenges we ran into, we were helping out uh, a Warner Brothers talk show with four hosts, and one of the hosts moved to upstate New York and had no connectivity, no cell service. I mean, really crappy cell service, really horrible uh, connectivity uh, via landlines. But the parent company was Time Warner. They ran fiber up there. So um, th that's the one thing that, that it, with all the cool stuff in today's world, you still got to be connected to do it. Um, and we can still do it with satellite trucks, but those tend to be a little bit more expensive. Um, so talking about all the trends, what are the biggest trends you're seeing in production or the technology for them that you're managing or maybe some of the stuff you've created? Lucas, let's start with you. And I'm sorry, repeat the question one more. I, mean, I was listening, but repeat the I, question one more time. I know. Uh, biggest trends you're seeing in productions or the technology for them that you're managing or some of the stuff you may have created. So trends in production. So first of all, I also want to give a, a quick plug. Um, when we first built, we built some broadcast racks. They're now old, but we built them about four and a half, five years ago. We built what I think were the first real real fly packs that were ready to roll that mixed, um, that did what I call geometry independence, which you can tell I'm a marketing expert. Um, the, uh, it was the concept of being able to take a VR camera, an HD camera, a 4K camera, mix and match them all, make the geometries all fit and work together, and then output it in a coherent format. Um, and we, Kiko built those racks for us. And at the time, that was brand new stuff. And I called and I called some of the key code people and I was like, this is what I want to do. And they were like, okay, how do we do that? I was like, I don't know, that's why I'm calling you. <laughs> and, uh, and we figured it out. And those racks, those racks were bulletproof. They, they did 150 shows without needing, a, without needing a single repair until you know, somebody dropped one off a truck, as happens. Um, and uh, that, that was that. Um, trends, trends in technology. The biggest thing that, you know, most of the work that we do is either music or esports, and we do a little bit of corporate as well. The, the biggest trend that I'm seeing in the music world, honestly, is, um, is, how do you in, is how do you mix physical and virtual? How do, you, how do you integrate a remote audience with, it's the same challenges that you're talking about, it's the, how do you integrate a remote audience with the live audience? How do you create a Coachella experience for, well, I don't know why anybody would want to read Never mind. I have a thing against Coachella. Don't mind me. Yeah. Uh, you don't the, shower for a week. The, uh, the how do you? But how do you create? You know, music. Uh, music is all about a conversation. It's it is it is somebody with something to share and somebody that wants to listen to it. In that in that loop, in that feedback loop between performer and listener. How do you create that feedback loop? There's a certain vibe to a live show that you can never recreate. You can never fully recreate virtually. But how do you bring tools to play? What's out there that can help people that are remotely feel more like they are part of the live experience? Whether that's through avatars and distribution platforms, whether that's through VR, whether that's through multi-screens, whether that's through different TikTok, Snapchat, all the different social platforms. How do you integrate all those and create a better at-home experience and something that can feed one off the other and that's where um, you guys are both talking about. For us, that's where latency comes into play, right? Um, we did a thing where we tried really, really hard. We had um, we were working with a band that had a guitarist in Canada, a drummer in Atlanta, and the leads and a lead singer in New York, and they all wanted to play together live, right? We tried every single damn solution known to man, including running dark fiber because we had the cash from the from the sponsors to do that. And eventually it comes down to, you know, you, you can't beat physics, you know? Late, distance is distance, lag is lag, latency is latency. And with music, the magic number's around 10 to 15 milliseconds. If everybody can't hear everybody else within about 10 to 15 milliseconds, then what you get is you hear a band just slowing down because everybody's waiting for everybody else to hit the beat, and you just hear a song just start to slow down and slow down and slow down. It's like, okay, that's not gonna work. Anyway, so that's trends that can be summed up with how do you create better experiences at home for people that are not at a live event using whatever you can. And, and keep the song from becoming a ballad accidentally. Um, 
Ian, what are you seeing out there in terms of trends for the stuff you're you're dealing with on a day to day? Yeah, I think you know, like most things, you know, the trends are economically driven. You know, so you know, in the corporate world, there's been you know a lot of gain you know over the last couple of years in the way to utilize the virtual um, you know solutions to minimize travel. You know, for multiple reasons, not just economic, but lots of corporations are looking at their their sustainability, their carbon footprint, those things. And so as they start to track those things, you know, we have seen that that the pedal is staying on the metal in the corporate, especially internal communications world. You know, there is not a big push to get back to in-person. Um, now, on the marketing side of those, the, the, the marketing meetings, the networking meetings, um, the sales type of meetings, you know, that's in-person. But a lot of times they're not even looking for those the content to get broadcast anymore, you know, because they're they're wanting to get people in the seats, and that's that's the same thing that we see with the trade organizations too. Is that even though all these different solutions are available, you know, economically the reality is that they want people to come. They want people to come to these, and if they if they don't gatekeep the content, and if they make it too inclusive to the entire virtual community they're just not getting the attendance, right? And so the motives are, as always, quite economically driven. Um, and by those, those are the varying ways that, you know, it all depends on the intent, right? What's the goals and the objectives of the program? And then we've got this suite of resources now, this palette to choose from. You know, if you're doing an in-person experience, it's more about the look and the feel and the lighting and the sound and getting immersive and, and making it a nice place for people to get together and make connections, you know, but if you're doing a communications programs or a broadcast that has a, a global audience, I mean, you don't need everybody flying around anymore just to talk to each other, right? And so it's just about curating the right experience um, for the right goal. And I, and I think the curation of talent is interesting there too. It's easier to get talent these days because there's not an expectation of, I need to drop what I'm doing and fly to New York City to get X, Y, and Z completed for you. Um, what are you seeing in terms of trends, Mark? Yeah, um, a big push from the industry, obviously, production in that vapor place called the cloud, right? Everybody, that, that's the big push. The big message from manufacturers these days, and some people upstairs are going to be stomping on the, on the floor if they hear me say this, but uh, there are some, there are a lot of manufacturers they have to address it because it's the buzz. How are we going to do live production in the cloud? A lot of people are dabbling their toe into it. I wouldn't jump into it um, because you don't. People don't really know the economics of it. Um, you can spin them up. There are people who say, "Well, let's spin up an instance. We go to a remote location. Let's spin it up and see what see what that looks like." Um, you know, a lot of manufacturers are moving to those SaaS-based models, which is, you know, licensing. You're licensing these things on a, on a time-based period. I'd be very cautious of that, actually, these days. It's a trend that they're all pushing because it's the hot hubba bubba. But be careful, latency is the issue. I mean, if you're doing live, live is live. What is acceptable to live? You know, that's subjective, I guess you would say. Um, that's a big trend, live cloud production. You know, so all you have down on the at, at the event venue is the cameras capturing the microphones and the talent uh, doing their commentary. Um, be careful. I would, I would back that up just because anybody that's worked live in live anything, it doesn't matter, knows that Murphy's Law is a very real thing. Um, and, and the thing that you don't expect, you're like, what, how the hell did, okay. You know, and and anything we had the opportunity to do some cloud to to do some cloud production that was going to be sponsored, and I specifically said no because I was like, no, man, because if something goes wrong with with the cloud engine with the cloud engineering, I'm I've got dead air, right? I don't have I don't have a human. You know, if something goes wrong with the switcher, if something goes wrong with play with replay, if something goes wrong on the truck. I've got people that can that can fix it. I've got backups in place. I've got all sorts of I've got all sorts of ways that dead air won't happen. Something goes wrong with the cloud. The 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 thing that I've always found with dealing with any kind of cloud providers is that they don't understand live production. 
They don't understand that a support call doesn't mean an hour from now. A support call means I'm going to have dead air in 10 seconds and get your ass on the phone, right? Um, so I just that it's not that they it's not that they can't do it. There is a lot of smart people and there's a lot of solutions that are very fast and very good. It's the nature of service and support in live production that is that is instantaneous and 911. When you make a support call live, it's 911 all the time. You are not making a support call because you've got something casual going on. You're making a support call because something's broken and you're about to have dead air or a camera's gone down and someone's yelling at you. Yeah, that, that has to do with anybody. Believe it or not, I mean, if you're even doing city council meetings and you go dark, that mayor's going to crawl up your tush. It, it's just going to happen, right? You can't, it's, it's at every level. If it's live, it's got to be live. You've got to be confidently delivering the product. You guys remember the Super Bowl a couple of years ago where there was like two seconds of, of, dead, of dead air after a spot? I, I remember seeing that, and I was in the room with a bunch of industry people. I remember seeing that, and everybody went, oh, man, there's a whole bunch of people getting yelled at with very unpleasant words right now. Dead air in the Super Bowl, man. Even on something like that, it happens. We, we, we don't like that. No. What's that? We don't like that. No. Um, so uh, the, let me jump into the other cloud question that I had there. So we, we, we now know what the problems are. There's the, the immediacy of support because a lot of times the cloud providers are interested in making sure that you know, that DoorDash transaction will work the next time. Um, and then there's the cost. And um, on the floor in Vegas, I heard a few people talk about uh, deplatforming out of the hyperscalers because of cost concerns. Um, what is it that the cloud or the hyperscalers do offer that is prohibitive to try to do when you're on-prem? Hyperscaler. <laughs> This is no, why I've got CEO in my title. I'm sorry, what's a hyperscaler? Okay, so a hyperscaler is AWS. Yeah. It's Google Cloud. It's Azure. It's the large cloud providers. They're, they're called hyperscalers. Because that's, that's a fancy marketing it term is a, for No, it's servers. not a fancy marketing term because I, I can make a cloud by setting up servers and sharing them out and making... It's, cloud is other people's computers. The, the folks who do cloud and have gigantic data centers... They are doing it at a hyperscale, therefore they are hyperscalers. Ah. Aha moment. Wow. Sounds I, like uh, a bad Star Trek. Were you all weapon. in the same boat that we were in when he said that? He said hyperscaler. I was like, I'm, oh crap. I'm another, glad to another another term term CTO, I don't know. right? Yeah. Yeah. And no, the I, thing I, is the education I, panel's the next one. We we've educated some folks. i I feel happy. So what can you do in the cloud that you can't do elsewhere easily? Hyperscale. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can say editing, right? Like, I mean, editing is a place where in the cloud it works well. You know, when you're editing projects, post-production workflow and stuff like that, that works well. Like you said, pointing to the live thing, there's just too much um, writing on it to, and the confidence just isn't there yet, right? So I would say post-production workflows for sure. Rendering. Cloud, rendering. Yeah. Content delivery. I mean, it's a yeah. perfect platform yeah, to start absolutely. delivering content right. delivery. I saw, I saw a present, an AWS presentation like a year ago on, on Netflix's rendering model in the cloud, and it just blew me away. I was like, oh, my God. Um, that it's any kind of, any kind of um, just giant, multi-distributed, multi-deliverable multi um, system that has to be rendered out and can be done in a somewhat automated manner, um, that... But that's a very interesting point there. We were just talking about the problems of cloud possibly not being there. Have you ever gone to Netflix and it's just not there? And it wasn't a problem with your own internet? I've, I've yet to I, see that. I, I have, but it's tied to, it's tied to bizarre geofencing models. Yes. Me meaning he's, he's in a different I live, country? I, 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 I moved to Canada two years ago, right? I lived in LA and I moved to Canada two years ago. All my cloud accounts were US based. And then I went to and then I went to Canada and Netflix is like, oh, you're not home. We can't show you this. I'm like, dude, it's my Netflix account. I just moved here. And they're like, yeah, no, you didn't. And I'm like, and, and that happened with everything. It was one of the biggest pains in the ass that I've ever had to transfer all my cloud accounts from the US to Canada. I had to go through setting up a Canadian Apple ID because with Canadian PayPal and Canadian credit cards because I tried to pay for stuff with my existing iCloud account that I've had for 
10 years that I paid God knows how many thousands of dollars for stuff. And Apple was like, you can't. I'm like, it's, and they're like, yeah, it's Canada. You can't. I'm like, wow. It's, and, and it was, anyway, that's what I mean. It was probably more difficult than getting, you know, resident alien status, right? But um, I did hear at NAB. I was talking to a, a couple of friends of mine that do that do on that do high-level server installs and do high-level installs. And I heard, and this is not my world, but I heard it from a couple of different people that there was a trend for large corp for large corporate and for large productions. There was a trend away from from cloud to basically create localized localized on-prem cloud and localized on-prem. Um, installations is that something you guys are seeing, and what's yeah. what's what's up with that? Data sovereignty is a big concern of some folks. Um, some people feel that their data is held hostage because I need to pay to egress it, so therefore there's a tax to get my own stuff back. So people like the idea of having it on their own, um, and it, it becomes a question of what you actually need to do with that data. If it's just sitting somewhere for the sake of sitting somewhere to say you still have it. Um, there are less expensive economic models than the, the hyperscalers that look at data from us the same way they look at data from Uber Eats, DoorDash, Netflix. We, we come from a world where we believe that our data is special because it's the things people see on television. It's the, it's the big names, it's the cool things. And the bottom line is data is data. They don't, they don't care. And they're not gonna adjust the pricing model for, for us in the media and entertainment and broadcast industries just because it's, quote, cool stuff that we say is cool. Yeah, it's still, it's still the connection. <laughs> it's still that copper, whether it's going through optical or whatever, it, it's, it's coming back down to copper at some point. And I'll take a coax over an RJ45 any day you th you've thrown it down so that that gets to the the point of there are there are pieces of this that still are always the same they've been the same since the beginning that camera over there it's a transducer these microphones are transducers they turn light and sound into electric signals and lighting just provides you know the ability of these things to see what trends are you seeing in the good old-fashioned stuff that is required to make video and audio happen. I mean, audio space, finally people are really in production. Not that it's gone away, but it's taking a little bit higher priority, right? These days with Dante and some of the other things, people are becoming much more savvy how they deal with the audio in the production environment, right? It's always been the bastard stepchild, you know, forget audio. Sorry, all you musicians and audio people. It's, it has been in the video television industry, but I think there's a lot more focus on it because there's many more tools out there to make that experience much better with Atmos and with other types of audio processing. Um, I think audio is a big focus. Another one is we could talk about when we talk about virtual, you know, now everybody wants to put an LED wall behind everything, right? So you can put you everywhere. That's a new and upcoming technology. It's not just putting a video wall behind you and shooting it with the camera. There's much more to doing that. I hate to be the naysayer. Just be careful when you get into these technologies and really do your research and vetting and go to the people that have stepped in that pothole before. Who, who know what the word frenum means? Frenemy? Frenemy? Frenemy. Frenemy. I don't know. Who knows? Is that like a no, it's the, it's, the, it's the area of the LED wall that's actually seen by the camera. And if you look at it in, in person, it makes you kind of sick because it's not, it's curved. So, CTL. I'm More fun stuff. Friend yeah. Vague. I well, I mean, <laughs> if you were going to touch a little bit on the, the, on the virtual stuff, you know, obviously, you know, Unreal and Disguise servers and uh, all that. We have a client that is, uh, you know... Uh, kind of the Coke to the Pepsi of Unreal, let's say. And so we had the opportunity to do some XR um, studio stuff. And so we had Disguise come in because there wasn't anything run on that engine before. And so there was some, um, 
it, really some case study stuff that came out in order to in workflows, you know, and I, I think I could say it here, Unity is the client. And so we were able to, you know, actually work in workflows through Disguise for the first time ever with that client, which was really nice to be able at the end of the event, nice XR studio event say, hey, powered by Unity, right? And so that, that was a really great opportunity for us um, to, to work with them in that different context because, you know, they're in much different verticals. Like you said, we think that the vertical that we're in is all is super sexy all the time, super important, you know, we're in the, but, you know, it's big business. There's all these verticals that all these big corporations work in, right? And so um, it, it's interesting to see where the different priorities are, though. So I, just to kick off that XR or that VR space, I figured that was a good place to start because those are some forerunners in, in that space right there. Well, and there's, there's some very simple things that happen there like set extension. So right. I've seen people, you've got a, a green screen in the corner and you don't have the budget to do an entire set surrounding it. So you just, you chroma key the person and then you extend the set past. Yeah. And the other thing I've seen is uh, camera tracking that's done not at the camera head, it's done from above. So they've got the entire thing mapped out. Absolutely. And you can use a, even a PTZ camera, you know, standard Panasonic AG-130 as your capture camera, looking at an LED wall with someone in it, and the entire thing is tracked from above yeah. three-dimensionally, so it you, knows where you are. You don't need much either. It, I mean, I think the cube is like, if you get a cube, it's a 10 by 10 by 10, right? You got a 10 by 10 floor, 10 by 10 walls, and the set extension stuff, it looks great, you know? But the workflows are still, they're still workflows. Just because it's virtual doesn't mean it's actually gonna get cheaper or anything like that because there's a lot uh, that, that goes along on that back end to make sure that everything looks seamless, right? Yeah, so. and, and the hardest thing in those environments is to create that background. Exactly. It's not the technology, it's creating the backgrounds graphically and in that space. Can I tell you how nice it is to be on a panel for this amount of time and nobody has said crypto or NFT yet? I, I'm so happy. Don't. Don't. Blah. No. Um, the, uh, you know, you, know it's, it, it's a, you were talking about traditional stuff and what are we seeing new in, in traditional stuff. Well, for, first of all, video without audio is just surveillance, all right? <clears throat> so the, um, the, uh, the big thing that I see in, and we always, we always sort of play at play at the bleeding edge, which is which is fun, um, but it's also a lot of problems in small audiences sometimes. But the big trend that we're seeing is, especially with Apple, um, when Apple announced uh, surround um, and surround capabilities for AirPods and Dolby Atmos. When Apple gets into a market, that's the biggest validator for that market that can possibly exist. Apple's about to come out with their VR headset. I predict that that'll be the greatest day of, of MetaQuest sales in Meta's history because it's, it's Apple validating that market. And Apple validating surround has now everybody in the music world that, that we deal with is going, hey, how do we do surround? And, I, and they don't even know what it means. They just know that Apple is doing surround, so they want to be able to do surround. So figuring out Ambisonic, Atmos, Figuring, figuring out all the different ways of encapsulating something that's beyond stereo, something that's beyond left and right, and having that be a part of the experience, at least in the audio world, is, is the biggest thing that, that we're dealing with. Because, I mean, people tend to forget that, um, that, you know, stereo is music. We've been listening to music as a horizontal format for 100 years. Reverb and effects are just, are just a, a way of fooling your ears into an approximation of space but you're still just dealing with a horizontal format. And when you're dealing with Ambisonics or 5.1 or, or Atmos delivery formats or any one of those things, it's an attempt to do something more than just left and right and then to encapsulate that in such a way that it, that it works with your ears. And when it's done well, it's magic. When it's done well, it sounds absolutely amazing. There, it is a qualitative difference. Um, in terms of how you listen to music and how you listen to audio in general. When it's done badly, it sounds like crap and you can't tell the difference. Apple got into a lot of heat because when they, when they first launched um, some of the Dolby Atmos stuff, some of the remasters they did sucked um, compared to the originals. And that's the, in the high-end audio community, there was a dirty little secret that a Apple's binaural, binaural filter was bad. 
Um, it just wasn't very good in terms of how they did stuff. So all these Atmos engineers and all these wonderful mastering engineers had to use Apple's binaural filter um, when they were outputting, and that's what made stuff sound not great. Um, and there's this, there's this weird high-end battle going on in this small niche community between Apple and Dolby um, in terms of who's going who's gonna to own that space, so to speak. And I've thought for a long time, I've looked at it and gone, I, thought, I think it just makes sense for Apple to buy Dolby. But that's, that's just me. I'm not, I'm not a, I don't have a billion dollars in my back pocket, so that's just me speculating. But um, anyway, the trends I'm seeing, everybody's asking us about how do we get beyond stereo. For, for audio. Interesting, one of the, one of the things I, I keep running into is, um, well, first of all, theatrical sensors with interchangeable lenses on pan, tilt, zoom controlled cameras. That's something that is, just came about. Sony's got something, I believe Panasonic does as well. Um, so you, you're getting the ability to get theatrical style imaging and control of your uh, field of, of view in PTZ cameras, which we didn't necessarily have before. And then the other thing I, I keep running into, which was interesting through through the pandemic and then as the pandemic ended, people began to change out light fixtures for LEDs. And then you'd walk into a studio and everybody would go, holy shit, it's cold in here. Because the the heat requirements for their for their studio actually dropped because they're no longer generating that much heat. So, and that became a, that, that's a sustainability issue and an electricity use issue. So it's driven by cost and a desire to be uh, environmentally fit that has kind of changed the way things are built going forward. So you're not gonna build uh, a, necessarily a studio with LED lighting with the same amount of BTUs of air conditioning that you used to. It's just one of those things that technology is kind of fixed for us. I'm curious for Ian, how long did it take you to get the disguise um, system set up? And how long from the time you from the time it showed up until the time you were like, okay, this is working, let's go? Two days. Okay. Wow. Right. Yeah, that's that's about that's about, about what I thought. That's about flow. standard. You know, right? but but there was a lot of there was a lot of trials and it was it was nice to it, I, from what I hear, I don't have a lot of personal experience working with the uh, unreal workflow and stuff like that. But that the actual workflow was very attractive in the Unity workflow that there was a lot of um, less steps involved. But it, but the reason why it took the two days was because it was just new, yeah. right? And so it was figuring out some of the workarounds and stuff. After Don't set, get too techy on me. No, after <laughs> I'm curious though because I've I've dealt with the I've dealt with virtual production, yeah. disguise stuff a lot. I'm curious after after it was set up, was it one of those things that everybody was like? Don't touch a goddamn thing. It's working. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't a very, it wasn't a very, you know, sophisticated program. So there wasn't a tons of scene looks and things like that and changes and stuff like that going on. So it was a pretty straightforward program, but it was more just like a test test case um, for for utilization in the, in the future. So. One one other trend thing that I that I saw one of the one of the coolest things I saw at NAB was actually something that. Mike Cavanaugh, wherever he is, he posted something on LinkedIn, and I was like, "That's cool. Where is that um, AI keying?" You know, I predict there was it was a little tiny booth off somewhere in the West Hall, and these two dudes from Texas with a computer, and they're like, "We got an AI keyer." I'm like, "The hell you say?" Huh. And um, and I was like, yeah, "Show seriously. me." And 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 I got in front of the camera, and it was just the background of of the booth. And sure as shit, it was a really good key that they were that they were pulling with no green and bad lighting. And I was like, I was like, let's see how it does with. And I broke it. It's you know, it doesn't do hair very well, and, and intersecting planes, it doesn't do very well yet. And they could only do from the waist up because as soon as you get to the floor, you have the intersection of the Z plane, which is which was really hard for them. But between seeing that and and also just the generic stuff that you can do with with an, with any mobile device, I predict green screen has about another two years until it goes away. Um, it seems like the te technology is really, really close to be able to do very good, key, very good keying without, without any, with only depth separation, without any, without any necessary necessity for chroma separation. I mean, it's probably a lot like with uh, captioning though and stuff too. It's kind of like dependent on circumstances. You know, you get, you know, a lot of, you know, um, you know, accents or things that they are having a hard time with. Same thing as far as with depending on the environment, right? Controlled environment, probably gonna be pretty easy. 
I cannot wait for, for, for green screens to go away. I mean, just cannot wait. Well, that, Everybody that, needs to do that. Everybody needs to do object separation and setting up a green screen is a pain in the ass for everybody. Well, and the thing there is it's gonna kill off the insert stage market because you're not gonna need to go somewhere that has a built-in hard psych and it's gonna democratize these tools like other things have done in the past to be like, okay, I'm, I'm a TikToker. I, I just wanna do a cool thing with the Eiffel Tower behind me and guess what? They can make it look pretty damn close. You know, it's it's a weird time in the industry, but it's always a weird time in the industry. Yeah. Um, it, it's, there are, I've, I've lived through, I don't know how many big generational shifts in the industry that come along and everybody's like, oh my God, this is gonna kill off a whole bunch of jobs. And yeah, it does, it kills off a whole bunch of jobs. But I, I've always been of the opinion, at least what I've seen, that it's it's a net zero thing. With every new with every new big introduction of technology, a bunch of jobs go away and a bunch of jobs are created. Um, you know, I remember, uh, you know, you guys. I, I can judge by your hair color that every that everybody here remembers the the switch from linear to nonlinear and all the hubbub in the linear to nonlinear, where everybody was screaming and yelling about that. The switch from film to digital, right? Um, in the audio world when drum machines came out in the 80s and there was the drum machine panic, right? AI is the newest thing that everybody's yelling about. It's like, oh my God, it's going to kill so many jobs. Yeah, it will. It's going to take away a huge amount of jobs. It's also creating a lot of jobs. And it's just a question of who makes that transition and how successfully they make that transition. So, yep. And this is a question I asked in LA. Who originally learned to edit with razor blades and film? Show of hands. <laughs> Who well, largely learned to edit with um, two VTRs and a single eight, single control? Convergence ninety, Convergence 90 <laughs> RM four forty, RM four fifty, four fifty, and Sony. who learned? Who learned on? Like, call it a CMX thirty six hundred. Yep. And who learned to edit on computers? Who here is editing on the same platform that they originally learned on today? Oh. All the editors quietly so raise their hands. Guess what? It's, it's not about it's not about the job. It's not about the tools to do the job. It's about the understanding of how you can use tools to do the job, because we're making better tools all the damn yeah, time. Yeah, and there there are there are efficient workflows to help that process along. Editing's editing. Shooting's shooting. I mean, you started in still photography, and you know the rule of thirds, and you know how to frame. That's shooting, right? It, it starts at the very basics of everything. Yeah, it doesn't matter how good the, the tools get. Learning to tell a story is right. still a craftsman trade. It's still something that you do. And requires something. people. Require, well, I won't get it. we won't get into AI today because yeah. I saw well, some crazy I mean, stuff. It's an existential As long as you can develop an AI newscaster, that's going to be good because then I don't have to listen to that. I always, I'm sorry. I always tell, I've, I've said this a bunch of times uh, with, with, with the younger folk these days, when people ask me, you know, what tools would you recommend I start with? What do you think I should do? And I always tell people now, especially kids and my kids and anybody getting into the creative field, I was like, teach yourself Unity and Unreal. Teach yourself game engines because they include, they include all, the, all, the, all the objectives of storytelling that traditional, that traditional editorial tools have, but they also include all the newfangled ways of interacting and creating games and creating the new ways of telling stories. I mean, all of our, how many people have kids? Anybody, anybody? All right, just curious. Okay, so because, because I'm guessing that none of you are big Snapchat natives, just judging by the age group in here. How many people here use Snapchat on a daily basis? Right, me neither. <laughs> so, but here's the thing is that everybody that's using Snapchat on a daily basis is an editor. Because if I put Snapchat this way, I am, collect, I am out there shooting and collecting material and I'm collecting clips of material. Then I'm taking those, that material at the end of the day. I'm sorting through that material to create the best clips, to create the best pieces of that material. Then I'm putting that on a timeline. Then I'm putting clips on that and then I'm publishing that. That's editing. And that's what, that's what Snapchat natives are doing every single day of their lives. Snapchat is the biggest editing platform on the planet, and people just don't realize it. So the, the youths coming up these days are all native storytellers. 
and 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 creating those tools, the game engine tools, and bringing game expertise into it, I think is is yeah. the future. On that editing front, though, too, that's that's I think a great place to start too, because you learn a lot about production from editing, although not to dos, right? Like, what a good entry point though, too, for people that are looking in to get in any of these fields, get starting into ed editing and learning about, oh, well, that was done crappy. I can't do it like that. If I'm if I was out there, I'd be you know. And to the storytelling piece, right? Uh, so anyway, yeah, just wanted to tag onto that. If editing. I fixed it in post enough, <laughs> if I go to to go do it myself, I'm going to fix it in pre. There, there is no more. Well, I, I won't say that. In 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 the professional world, there's still a distinction between production and post, but increasingly, there's kind of almost no distinction for a lot of people. It's weird. The the distinction in the professional world is budget. If the budgets are separated, you're going to fix it in post. If they're together, you won't. Plain and simple. Um, top and tail, call it done. <laughs> nice, fade to black at the end. Um, we got time for a couple quick questions. Anybody have anything they would like to ask our estimable panel? Estimable? My, my agent told me there wouldn't be any questions. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone have questions they want to ask everyone but Lucas? <laughs> Should we talk about AI for a minute, or are we running out of time? No, no, we're not running out of time. We can we can talk about AI. I mean, one of the things I wanted to say about AI is um, there's a gentleman who who's been working for years to Philip Hodges, who's been trying to create a <clears throat> assistant editor, basically a machine-based assistant editor, and he did a little exercise where he took an entire transcript for a documentary and dumped it into ChatGPT and said. Okay, tell the story. And ChatGPT responded with something that contained words from the transcript, but it had nothing to do with what was actually said as statements. So it told a story given those words, but it did not have a coherent narrative. So <laughs> that's, that's one of the pieces there that I don't think is necessarily there yet with AI, getting to a coherent narrative. At, at, at uh, Live Production Summit a couple months ago down Palm Springs, they were playing around with um, writing Grand MA code uh, through AI. Like, program me a, a concert in the style of Beyonce. And it would, you know, you're, it's kicking out 90 minutes worth of lighting cues and stuff, which is amazing to me. Uh, how many of you had a, have a chat GPT account? How many of you think it's useful or use it for, for real real work? If you're going to get a scope of work from Keycode, it's coming out of ChatGP. I'll, t I'll tell you that, <laughs> that I use ChatGPT every day for, for work, every single day. It's amazing. But it really is, there's an old computer acronym, GIGO, garbage in, garbage out. Um, and ChatGPT is the best example of that I know. Unless you train it properly, unless you give it what it needs to know, it will spit out garbage. Um, but ChatGPT does all of my company's blog posts, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and emails, every single bit of it. And I do very, very minor editing. But that's because I, I call it like, it's the world's most eloquent toddler. Um, you, you, have to, you have to give it absolutely all the information that it needs to do stuff. I would, I would argue, if Philip was here, I would say, well, that's like you give an intern a script and say, make it better without giving them any instructions. They're going to give you garbage, yeah. right? Unless they just get lucky. Um, so, but, but man, the, the AI stuff that I've seen coming out from, with, from hackathons, I, I've used AutoGPT, those agents. I think that that's not, me personally, I think it's not ready yet. It's still very much in the world of developers and not actually that useful for normal folk. But man, it's gonna it's expanding so damn quickly um, that um, that it's gonna it's gonna infiltrate the editing world and the storytelling world very 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 quickly. And storyboard artists are now out of business. Midjourney has replaced the entire storyboard artist world. Um, storyboard artists now are if they don't know how to use Midjourney, if they don't know how to use Dolly, they're out of work. Um, that's a job category that just went away as fast as like neg cutters went away when, when film to digital happened. How will, it, how will AI affect the actual editing environment? I think it just depends on how deep your content needs to be. If you're doing fluffy content, it's going to infiltrate it. If you're needing to do 
big documentary style piece. It, it, I think it all depends on the intent and the uh, the deliverable. I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna completely take over the role of a lot of the um, a lot of the grunt a lot of the grunt work, right? If you think about it, scene detection is a very very low level kind of of AI, right? It's some kind of intelligence applied to your content. So things like scene detection, things like pan and if any, does anybody do pan and scan anymore? Uh, things like scene detection, pan and scan, multiple deliverables, color correction, color grading. I think other than the very top level of creative color grading, color grading is about to disappear um, because of matching. Because I grew up reading scopes, and if you know how to read a scope, you know that matching a scene is a very straightforward thing to do. There's just not a lot of knobs necessary to do that. Color grading and balancing, that's gonna go away. I think assistant editorial, a lot of assistant editing tasks are gonna go away. The concept of collating and, and collecting clips and bidding them intelligently and naming them intelligently and making them something that an editor can use, that's gonna be, be automated very Any, soon. Anything you would hire a lot of people to get done quickly, that's what's gonna go away. Formatted television, prime example of it, I mean, Anything that is formatted, like you're gonna you're gonna see it heavy. You're gonna see it heavy in news. This is repetitive, over and over and over again. Same format, same dialogue, same thing every day, back to back. And I mean, there's already a lot of people don't know, but there's already for years now all the videos, all the listicle videos, and all the like interstitial videos that you see on Bloomberg and CBS and all the big news stations. Those have no human interaction. Those are being done automatically and have been done automatically for many, many years. Um, but that's all content that really doesn't have, content that does not have a narrative flow, that's just filler in, in a lot of ways, I think that's all gonna be completely automated very, very soon. And the only thing that's gonna have real humans doing stuff, I think, is stuff that's real storytelling and real narrative. But we have a bright future <laughs> as humans. We do. Uh, <laughs> oh, Whatever that hold is. on. Wait, I'm hearing from my robot overlords. We're out, we're out of time. We can't disobey the robot overlords. Ian, Lucas, I'm Mark, the cheering thanks. voice of doom. I, both. Thank you. It's, uh, it's embedded in my ear. Thanks, Jeff. We're thanks around. for joining us. Give, give it up to Keycode for hosting this. Yeah, this today. is great. Thanks for watching Broadcast to Post. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast to receive future episodes. Follow Keycode Media on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to receive news on additional AV, broadcast, and post production technology content. See you next time, folks.